The world is wrong. Hello, Drodgeheads, and welcome back to the Drodgecast. In, in the south of England today, it's a really lovely, misty, autumnal... No, it's actually winter now, isn't it? It's winter. It's a very lovely, misty winter day. I love getting up in the morning and looking out and seeing mist and it just cloaks the world in that sense of mystery, excuse the pun. It's just, um, it's one of my favourite types of weather. And um, if you're listening to this outside of the UK, you may just feel like I'm ticking off all of these stereotypes uh, of the, the UK bingo of all the things that we like to talk about and obsess about. The weather, class and society in general and yes 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 bingo for you woohoo but this podcast of course is about gender and I've been having a really interesting couple of weeks uh, on a personal level because I've had those things coming out of the the daily happenings which sort of feel in their own way quite mystical to bring that back that word again like a sort of closing of the circle in many ways of a sense of coming home to something I'd lost or even coming home to myself in a way and, you know, kind of breaking old patterns, ending the cycle. And this podcast, I've done one of them before, I suppose. The, the very first one, A is for Agenda, where I was sort of opening myself up, talking about who I am, why I've come to where I am and why I want to do this and why it's important to me and what gender means to me. And... That podcast was what I would call a vulnerable. It's a bit of a tricky one to say. This is um, a podcast that is a vulnerable podcast. There, I finally got it. Vulnerable. See, I was vulnerable with you there. I, I, I messed up and I kept it going. I kept this in. A vulnerable podcast. And what the hell is that? As you know by this point, I love to make stuff up. I love to mess with language. And, of course, like I said before, everything is made up, you know, like, that's just what human beings apparently are. We are creators at our core. Everything in our world is made up, especially gender. And um, so, you know, language is fair game as far as I'm concerned. But I'm aware that the that, 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 that phrase I'm reworking for this week, this type of podcast, is um, when you write it down, so it's vulnerable and you capitalise the able, right? Because... The concept of being vulnerable, I think, is a much maligned, misunderstood feeling, state of mind, state of being. Because to be vulnerable is supposed to be to be weak, to be in a, in you know, in the shadow of somebody else, or you know, under real threat and real danger. But actually, to be vulnerable is to be truly strong, because you are essentially going out and saying to yourself and the world. I don't know what's going to happen in the situation. I am just surrendering to the situation and trusting in myself and trusting in things greater than me that everything's going to work out. And that takes an incredible amount of strength to do that. And, yeah, when you write that down, vulnerable, it kind of looks like some terrible, annoying marketing or business speak. So you have to excuse me for that. Like looks like it was some program designed by Apple or Google or something. Welcome to the Vulnerable Able podcast. The Vulnerable Able system. No, it's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that 
this is the type of podcast where I'm going to be vulnerable with a capital ABLE because I believe, and others would agree to this too, that being vulnerable is a true form of strength, perhaps, perhaps the greatest form of strength that you can access. You can be most vulnerable when you're at home, when you feel truly at home. And this week on the Drudgecast, it's the letter H, and H is for home. When the concept of vulnerability comes up in modern day society, probably the first name you'll, you'll think of or will be quoted is Brene Brown, who is a researcher and writer and public speaker. I came across a book of hers not so long ago called Daring Greatly, and there's a really great live show she does on Netflix where she talks about vulnerability and her experiences with it, which I really recommend checking out, and I recommend checking out this book as well, Daring Greatly. And in this book, she talks about the sense of belonging and, you know, where else do you belong but home? You know, a true home is where you belong. And talking about this sense of belonging, she writes, Belonging is the innate human desire to be part of something larger than us. Because this yearning is so primal, we often try to acquire it by fitting in and by seeking approval, which are not only hollow substitutes for belonging, but often barriers to it. Because true belonging only happens when we present our authentic, imperfect selves to the world, our sense of belonging can never be greater than our level of self-acceptance. And I think that's so true. To really feel that you belong somewhere, to, to let yourself belong somewhere, whether that's to a group or an idea, an identity, you really have to go on that journey of finding your self-acceptance. Because if you can't accept yourself, then how are you going to let other people accept you, you know? If you feel that oh, I'm not quite enough in myself, um, then you're going to be constantly comparing yourself to other people. Even if you're in a group of people that you feel are like-minded, you know, like, like me being in the queer community, being around queer people over the years, you know, even though I knew that I was on the same kind of like, same kind of like plain identity wise as them broadly speaking, you know, I would struggle to feel that I truly belong there because I didn't feel that I truly accepted myself, that I didn't belong internally, you know, that I didn't see myself and accept myself. So it's not just a question of belonging to others, it's a question of belonging to yourself, the question of self-acceptance. So that's one definition of home, belonging, and from that self-acceptance. What else can it mean? There are many different ways of interpreting the word home. It will mean something different to everybody. Whether it's a physical place where you actually live or somewhere that feels welcoming and safe to you. People who feel welcoming and safe to us or even a home within ourselves. However we define it, we all need that home. We are all at home here on earth, I would say, you know, like even when others say that we don't belong, you know, how could we not belong if we're already here, if we already are at home, you know? How could we not belong if we are already here, if we are already home? Someone telling you that you don't belong, whatever they mean by that. I don't, I don't feel that they have the authority to say that because everybody belongs just by being here, you know? Listen to this from scientist and writer Carlo Rovelli. Nature is our home, and in nature we are at home. This strange, multicolored and astonishing world which we explore, where space is granular, time does not exist, and things are nowhere, is not something that estranged us from our true selves. For this is only what our natural curiosity reveals to us about the place of our dwelling, about the stuff of which we ourselves are made. We are made of the same stardust of which all things are made, 
And when we are immersed in suffering or when we are experiencing intense joy, we are being nothing other than what we can't help but be. Part of our world. So whether you mean in a matter of science, pure biology, cosmicness, being part of society, being a human being, you know, whoever you are, you already belong. You're already accepted into this wonderful, bizarre club that we call human society. I had some time to kill up in London a couple of weeks ago and stumbled upon the Victorian Albert Museum. It's a museum I've never actually been to before, I don't think. Uh, there are so many wonderful free museums in London, which is a fantastic thing that we have this free access to culture and art and history. Herstory, theystory. Sorry, I have to do that every time until somebody, the dictionary people, change it. I was in the V&A Museum and I was just wandering around. I was looking at some Middle Eastern art, some Muslim art, some Hindu art and some Buddhist art, and then I came to an exhibition about fashion. It took us from, took us from, I think like the 1800s through to the noughties. There was a separate exhibition which was paid, uh, you had to pay to get in, which was upstairs in this beautiful round room. And I could see the projections of all these wonderful, colorful African outfits, these African people coming up from the exhibition upstairs. So it was obviously, obviously an exhibition about African fashion and the gift shop uh, in this area had been tailored to to show off, showcase this exhibition and had a quick look around. There were some really beautiful pieces and beautiful books and and like headscarves and pieces of clothing and little knickknacks you could buy. And I was most interested in this book, which is called The Sex Lives of African Women, which is by the author Nana Dakoa Sekiyama. And it's just something I was interested to, to, to read about. I had a little flick through decided it was going to be worth the, the money and got it and you know it's not something I have a great deal of experience of the sex lives of African women and um, I'm just always interested and keen to learn and it just seemed to be a real book of female empowerment and breaking down barriers and speaking your truth which I'm all about supporting and advocating and shouting about and just one particular passage from the book really struck home with me and I feel is appropriate for this week's podcast so Nana Dakoya Sekiyama writes, It is imperative to break out of the boxes circumscribed by society in order to discover oneself and the multitudes we hold within us. This requires practicing an audacious form of bravery and often requires one to go against the grain of everything that has been presented as the norm. You don't discover yourself by sticking to well-trodden paths. You discover yourself by embarking on your own personal odyssey, which is experienced differently by everyone. The journey towards self-discovery may be long and winding, but it is also one filled with the infinite possibilities that come with adventure. The women whose stories I share in this section speak to the quest that many women need to undertake to discover their true sexual selves. Sometimes, this involves a literal journey like moving to another country for love, as was the case for Nura, who married a man she had never met before, and subsequently moved from Kenya to Senegal. For others, self-discovery requires stepping out of the relative safety of the familiar to explore different relationship models based on consent, openness, and love. Getting to know oneself may even mean a reckoning with the gender that was assigned at birth. And I think what this speaks beautifully to is that to discover yourself, to come home to yourself, you really do have to be vulnerable. You have to connect with what you feel is your authentic self and be willing to put it out there and to know that whatever happens, whatever feedback you get, whatever experiences you go through, they don't take away that intrinsic value that you have. 
the intrinsic value of your home within yourself, of your own belonging to yourself. And it is hard, I certainly know, because I've struggled to lean into that over the years. But you get there by being vulnerable. Vulnerable, sorry. There's a wonderful writer, actor, producer and director I recently met and worked with on an R&D project, a research and development project. And her name's Hannah Kumari. And she speaks very articulately, very movingly, on the Meaning of Home podcast, which you can find on Podbean. Hannah speaks about living in lots of different places growing up, places which have and haven't felt like home, being of mixed Indian and British heritage and finding difficulties with that, being accepted by others and accepting herself, and how she really enjoyed going to a place like Spain for three years, where she was perceived as accepted as Latin American and started that journey perhaps of self-acceptance in herself, how she's felt that in some ways home is everywhere and nowhere, that it can be many places, but for her, the most important definition of home has come to mean the acceptance of herself, going on a journey of unburdening herself of the negativity towards being mixed race growing up in the 90s in Coventry, and coming to feel truly at home in her own skin, in her own self. And in my own way, this is something I can really very much relate to. As I said at the top, I've had the feeling recently, in the past few weeks, of this curious coming full circle sense in a number of areas of my life of coming home to myself perhaps for the first time and in a way I'm, I'm doing that with this podcast too with this particular episode the way I'm going about it because I'm going to let you in on a little secret right invite you behind the curtain give you a big hammer and give you permission to smash the fourth wall to pieces because I've prepared so little for this podcast so little <laughs> I normally come up with research and acquire so many facts and quotes and figures and statistics and anecdotes because I want to do due diligence on the thing I'm looking into and I'm really fascinated, ravenously curious about subjects and I want to do the best possible job to do the best possible service as I can to your ears and your brain. Um, but this week, no, it's, it's, pretty just, it's pretty much just me and my thoughts, my experiences. But, you know, so in a way, with all that in mind, I have been preparing for this all my life, for all I've been through, all of these things that are coming full circle that have been part of my life for a long time now. I've been preparing for this all my life, you know. You know, I may not have prepared a huge amount in the, the conventional way, but I have, been, I have been preparing all my life to get to this point. So um, you'll find the bucket to vomit into just to your right. Sorry. <laughs> you know. This is a vulnerable podcast in every way. And um, on one of my favourite podcasts, the Blind Boy podcast, on his episode from recent weeks uh, called Elf on a Shelf and how it is a sort of surveillance piece of modern capitalism. It's a really interesting hot take I recommend listening to and checking out. He talks about, in the second half of the podcast, about how there's no such thing as failure. There's no such thing as failure. As he sees it, failures are just stepping stones on the way to success. There's only failure if you don't try, if you give up and give in to that sense that you have failed. Because if you fail, you have tried, you have been vulnerable, you can learn from that, you can move on, and you can continue to fail until you succeed, and it will happen. It's just a question of sticking with that vulnerability, that discomfort, 
and riding out any negative associations you may have with what failing is supposed to mean, whether that's shame or depression or embarrassment. You can work through all that by being vulnerable and sitting with the sense that you have failed and recognising that, no, this is just a stepping stone. This is just part of the journey. And my experience with that, of sticking with something, even though I felt like I failed in the moment, of sticking with the vulnerability train, is that life has this curious way of showing you real moments of synergy, real moments for learning, for a sense of growth and success that you couldn't possibly have expected, of linking the past and the present, and then closing the circle on part of your life. I've had two such experiences in the past few weeks that happened within less than a week of each other. And it's a tale of two cities, London and Brighton. And we're going to start in London. I can't remember if this is something I've talked about on the Strogecast before, but about this particular event uh, specifically. It was sometime in the, in the spring of 2019. And at this point, I was living in a static caravan in the middle of nowhere in Hampshire. I had no job. I had dwindling reserves of money. And I also had the threat of a criminal record following a recent arrest at Extinction Rebellion's April 2019 climate demonstrations in London. Uh, Prior to that, I'd been living on a houseboat for a year and a half with a former partner, and we'd split up a few months before early 2019. So I'd ended up in this really bleak, depressing, (laughs) low place in my life where everything felt overwhelming, and coupled with that, I was really going into the eye of the storm of my of my gender identity basically of who the hell am I internally who the hell am I how do I figure this out once and for all and at that point nowhere felt much like home at all least of all inside myself my inner inner self was saying like you have this incredibly strong feminine energy you need to let this out and then my outer self was saying well that doesn't feel very safe to me I uh, I know from the experience of experimenting in the past that uh, that's you know, it's accepted in a theatrical way, like if I get up and do a show or something or put on a character, but in real life, that just doesn't seem possible. So there was this real sense of disconnect between, I suppose, my spirit and my physical self. And that's something I've struggled with for a long time. And, you know, I'm only really starting to, in the recent months, to really to really heal that divide. And so I had a possibility to go to a gig this had been something where my the partner I just split up with in recent months, uh, in, in the early 2019, her parents, so her mum and her stepdad, had for Christmas, uh, end of 2018, bought us tickets to go and see Idols in Camden at the Electric Ballroom. And I was really excited to go and, you know, they got in touch out the blue and said, you know, like, despite everything that's happened, we still want to go with you, we, you know we got these tickets as a gift, you know, we still love you, we were going to go, and I was really touched by that. And I said, great, yeah, I'd love to come, but there's something you should know. Um, I'm presenting as female now, so, you know, if I show up and you don't recognise me or you think there's someone who looks a lot like me, who looks like a woman, then that's that's me, hey. So, yeah, I had this ex- the experience of sort of honouring my first being out there as presenting as female, perhaps one of the most masculine places you could go to to a sweaty punk idols gig in Camden 
it was it was it was lovely like as i was expecting it to be the community that idols have built particularly through their facebook group the af gang which is it's a that's an acronym no one really knows what it stands for and that's part of the joke of being part of the club um i've not been on there for a while but every time every so often someone joins and they'll say what's af stand for people will chime in with ridiculous suggestions like, oh, it stands for anachronistic fertilizer. It stands for, anthrop anth it stands for anthropological uh, fentanyl. We're the anthropological fentanyl gang. Hello. It's a, it's a group where I've seen, you know, so much, so much humanness, so much love and connection and generosity whether that's someone moves to a new town and they're like i don't know anybody and someone reaches out and said hey i i you know i i've lived here a long time let's meet up and i'll show you around you know having meetups before gigs just a real sense of community and doing things like book swaps i sent a book a few years ago that i'd really loved reading which was by thomas page mcbee um it was his second book um i think um I can't remember which one it was, but um, he's got two wonderful books that I've read. Um, that I really recommend you check out, particularly if you are, particularly if you are a trans man going through that experience, because he speaks beautifully about his journey with that and how you know transitioning uh, changed him and the things that he found challenging and beautiful about that and the things that he learnt. And you know, I could really relate to it really in a way. It really helped me because I thought, well. I may not be a trans man, I may not be trans, but I can so relate to the sense of someone having to try to learn how to be male because it's not something I've been very good at, babe, like over the years. Um, you know, I've tried and uh, I've tried and I've failed, you know, um, but this is this this is, this is a failure that I, you know, I'm willing to accept really, despite all I said so far, you know, like I'm just not a man, I'm just not a man. But reading that book, reading both of his books, really uh, helped me because it just showed me how you know a lot of it is just so arbitrary you know the, the, these these stereotypes these roles you're supposed to play the way you're supposed to behave the way you're supposed to sound you're supposed to act the fact that he after he'd transitioned he found that he now commanded the attention in a room whereas before being seen as female he would not that's why it can be so difficult i think when it comes to gender to try and hold on to that intrinsic value and why we do have to push the boundaries because intrinsic value is is seemingly only allowed in certain ways or made space for in certain ways more easily if you're a woman you know in terms of beauty and sensitivity and if you're a man in terms of strength and decisiveness you know we all have more intrinsic value than that of course we do um and that's why it's so important why i'm so passionate driven about pushing the boundaries and making space trying to help make space for people who don't fit into that gender binary who don't want to who want something more than that something different so i was at this idol show that same weekend i was staying with my sister and her partner in in uh, south london and uh, near where they live there's a big long high street called clapham high street and i didn't have anything to do on the sunday i had a bit of money in my pocket uh, despite being incredibly broke somehow I had some money in my pocket and I thought right I'm gonna to go to a charity shop because I don't have that many dresses that many female clothes that are actually mine that I haven't uh, inherited from girlfriends over the years or haven't um, secretly borrowed or stolen from family members or friends you know 
I need to I need to start building my own sartorial war chest. I will go I'll go, I'll go out to a charity shop. You know that be the that be the, the the best way to do that. So I went to a charity shop on the on the Clapham High Street and. I was all femmed up with my makeup and my fake boobs, just some socks stuffed in a, stuffed in a bra, and I felt good. And I was just picking through some dresses, took them into the the changing room, tried a couple on, and I thought, okay, I've got four here. I don't want this one. I want these two. And this one I'm wearing, this green long floaty dress. I'm gonna wear this and just let the person at the counter know, like, hey, this is one of your dresses. I'm gonna wear it at the shop if that's okay. So I'll pay for these three and not this one. And so I went to the counter and said exactly that. I've got one dress I'm returning, two dresses here that I want to buy, and this one I'm wearing I'd like to buy and wear out the shop if that's okay. And as the woman behind the counter was serving me, as she was scanning the barcodes and putting stuff in a bag, she was just giving me like, I mean, she wasn't looking at me, but you know, like I got the sense that if she was looking at me, she'd just be giving me the most fiery, steaming evil eyes you could possibly wish to give to someone. And she eventually just said something like, I can't believe this. You need to get out of the shop now, otherwise I'm going to call security. I'm going to press the button for security. I just froze. I didn't know what the hell was going on, what to say. Uh, I, I, I had, to, had to move quickly because otherwise she was going to, you know, situation was going to get pretty hairy. And I was still in the first, you know, I was, I was still in the early stages of of occupying a female space of, of occupying trying to occupy my my own space in society what felt right at the time so I didn't feel like I could just kind of stand my ground and go like that that's ridiculous like how dare you talk to me like that you know like like I, I'm paying I've told you what I'm buying and I paid for it why are you being so shitty um you know I really should have given her like a, a piece of I really should have given her a piece of my fucking soul, you know, like, this is this is not okay, how dare you ch- talk to me like that, how dare, how dare you talk to anybody like that? Least of all when you're a fucking charity, you know, <laughs> like, if you're gonna work, if you're gonna go into working in a charity shop, and you're a moody asshole, you know, <laughs> who thinks it's okay to just blindly discriminate against people, you're probably in the wrong business, love, you know? I know we should be thankful for people volunteering, but like, we can do without you, you know, you know, um, go volunteer at a hate shelter, you know, that that would be much more your speed, you know. But so I, I just left, like, um, and took took the, the, the clothes I bought in the bag, went out the front of the shop, and then I must have had a sense that, like, uh, there'd been some kind of mix-up with the, with the purchase of, like, oh, the, the number didn't seem quite right when I scanned my card. So I looked inside the bag and I, she charged me for all four. And I thought, I had that conversation with myself, which, were it a different day, were it a day a couple of weeks before, say I was going in and I was, you know, perceived as male, I would have gone back in the shop and said, oh, hey, you've, you've incorrectly charged me for something. Could you please give me a refund? Because I, I didn't, I didn't want to buy this. And I'm sure there'd be no problem. You know, she'd refund me, I'd return the item, I'd go on my way and I wouldn't have the sense of having been, being stabbed in the fake breasts, you know? <laughs> It was, um, that's not what happened. I knew then and there that any sense of, like, white male privilege that I had before entering that shop was now completely gone, you know? Like, if, like, shit went down, like, I couldn't rely on anyone to defend me, 
I couldn't rely on anyone to look at me and go like, oh hey, that woman is being harassed. That person is being harassed. I'm going to help them. Or for the security guard, if they did in fact appear to be reasonable, you know? Because when you're perceived as like a glitch in reality, people just, that brings that anger out in them. You know, I think that must be where it comes from. You just, you, I think it's, it, it's, I'm not saying, I can't, I don't know, I don't know enough about this woman to say whether she's a hateful person or not, but something about when you are perceived as breaking the rules of society or breaking the rules of reality, it, you know, it can either not phase people, as it does a lot of people, um, or it can pique curiosity, or it can just bring up blanket hate, because basically the person is kind of going, I can't compute what is happening, this does not relate to anything I know, what I think is allowed, so therefore... I have a right to be angry about that. I'm, or I'm just going. My anger is going to override everything, and I kind of relate it to having once seen seeing a guy running down a big long road when I was living in Southampton. He was an Asian man, and he was dressed in a checkered shirt and shorts and trainers, and he was looked like he was like running, doing some exercise. And I thought that's really weird. Like. People don't wear checkered shirts and, like, cargo shorts when they're going on a run. Is he okay? Is he running from something? And it seemed like he was he was just going through, like, for a run to get his daily exercise. And he wasn't in a tracksuit or some kind of sportswear. So I thought he was being pursued. Like, there was something wrong. Um, uh, and I was curious about that. But then I just thought, oh, it doesn't... It doesn't really matter if that's what he's doing. That's weird, but like it's none of my business. Like you know, why should there be rules about what gear you can wear when you go for a run? You know, it's your it's your life. You know, go for it. Which I think is a reaction that most people would have. People wouldn't get angry and stop him and go, "What what are you doing? You, you're you're not a runner. You're, you, you're clearly not dressed in the right way. You need to sort yourself out." Or, 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 this this is this is all wrong. Which I feel like is what the woman was doing with me in the in the charity shop, going, this is all wrong, and I don't feel safe. Except the difference is, it's not me going for a, like, a run, it's me trying to be myself, you know? And she is basically feeling that that gives her the excuse, because I don't compute with her understanding of reality, that gives her the excuse to fill me full of terror and treat me in a very hateful way. Yeah, that was one of the most like unpleasant experiences I've ever been through. To really bounce back from that, you really have to have a strong sense of intrinsic value, which in society, trans people, genderqueer people are not afforded readily. You know, it's something that we have to fight for. And yeah, the, the only way to get there is to be vulnerable. Where this circle closes is uh, a couple of weeks ago, I ended up doing a performance in a drag show, which is put on through... Uh, this Facebook group I'm part of, this queer spiritual group called the Radical Fairies, and someone who was part of this group had put on a drag show at the Two Brewers on Clapham High Street. I didn't know that's where it was when I signed up to do it. I was just looking to get back into performing in that way. I've I've done drag over the years, like I've done sort of drag-like characters. I had this character called Mad King Ludwig for this band I was in, Mad King Ludwig and the Mojo Coat, and. The character kind of came about because my brother had been interrailing in Germany and came back and said, well, he'd been interrailing all around Europe, but he'd stopped off in Germany in Bavaria, where there are all these castles that were built by Ludwig II of Bavaria, otherwise known as Mad King Ludwig. And he was this 
eccentric character who rose to the the throne in Bavaria when he was like in his late teens. He was this incredibly tall, strapping guy. People used to apparently marvel and stop and stare at his walk as he went by, which just puts me in mind of the Ministry of Silly Walks from Monty Python because like I've I don't think I've ever seen somebody walk past and just like just have to stop what I'm doing and just watch them go just because of the way they're walking. So he must have had a pretty impressive stride on him, right? Maybe that's why he became king. And it was a really important time for Bavaria because Germany was encroaching towards the brink of unification under Otto von Bismarck, going from being all these separate regional states, these separate regional kingdoms, to be truly unified as, as Prussia, then Germany. He wasn't interested in any of that. He just wanted to build castles, drain the state's money away, and eat sweets and go for midnight rides in his sled. That's all he wanted to do. There's theories that he was closeted homosexual. I mean, you know, you could also read into that that he was, you know, closeted something else, queer. He's this fascinating figure. And my brother came back to me and said, look, he looks just like you. And it's absolutely uncanny. Um, like, from presenting in a male way, I look just like him. You know, facially, it's it's... It's eerie. It's eerie. It's one of those things where you think, like, was I this person in a, in a former life? And so I, I took that character and his story and sort of twisted it into my own version, really. You know, maybe something appropriately that he would have he would have approved on, potentially being a closeted figure. Um, you know, this 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 larger than life uh, androgynous figure. You know, sometimes I would have a beard. Uh, generally, have long hair flip between being fully feminine to being androgynous with makeup and stuff and had a very incredibly deep over-the-top theatrical voice for me that was a way to safely explore my queerness and I'm incredibly grateful for that passing resemblance um, because it's no use in any other way it's not like I could go into a shop and say like oh I look like David Becker maybe I'll get a free coffee you know oh I look like Mad King Ludwig I'll I'll go to the castle um, Neuschwanstein in Bavaria and say hey I'm back here to take my castle back it doesn't work like that so I had to use it in more creative ways and um, for a good three four years with that band which was a wonderful mad time with some of my favorite people it was a way to safely explore my queerness you know also I think it also challenged my ideas about what um, about how people how you perceive people how you, you uh, how they perceive you so we were doing a show once in the Duke of Cumberland uh, known as the Dukes in Whitstable on uh, the end of the high street just by the sea Whitstable's a really cute little town and we gigged there quite a lot because our bass player was from there and we did a gig there on, I think it was like on a sun uh, a Saturday or Sunday night and uh, the rugby had been on earlier in the day and the venue set up so you've got the bar and then there's like a sort of a a little kind of walkway and um, you go straight into the venue there's like no divide they kind of just seamlessly bleed into one another and it's got these beautiful artistic depictions of famous uh, musicians from history like um, like Little Richard and Chuck Berry and the Rolling Stones it's a really beautifully looked after place and they have some great music there and so we were playing on the evening after the rugby had been on and so there were a couple of rugby fans in their, in their rugby shirts in the audience and we did our show went really well really happy with it got a really good response and I was coming off stage to go to the loo I think and I saw these two rugby guys coming towards me these big burly guys coming towards me and I thought oh shit 
I'm gonna get beaten up. I'm gonna get beaten up. <laughs> Great. I'm gonna get makeup and, and blood mixed all over my face. Wonderful. And then they started to descend on me and just gave me the biggest bear hug ever and said, that was, that was absolutely amazing. Oh, we love that so much. And it, in that moment, I was, I, I was the prejudiced bigot. I was the one thinking that just because they're a rugby fan, these big burly masculine blokes, that they must want to beat me up because I present in a feminine androgynous way. And I learned a big lesson that day, you know, to get over my sense that that masculinity is 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 wrong in all forms, and and that people are out to get you, you know, if you uh, that everybody's out to get you if you present in a in a way that is different, that that bends the barriers of what is is deemed to be acceptable for gender. You know, that being said, it is one thing I found that generally most people who are not comfortable with gender bending, gender distorting, gender free expression, uh, they may not be comfortable in with it in society when someone comes into a shop and wants to buy some, some clothes that they think they shouldn't be allowed to buy or present in that way. And it's another thing to go to a gig or a drag show because you feel, because it's theatrical, because there is that fourth wall, that it's safe and you can explore these things. And that's why theatre performance is so important to push boundaries because people feel they can kind of come along to a night and in a way like switch off, let somebody else take control of the situation, tell them the story, take them out of themselves and show them an alternate version of reality, an alternate version of what is possible. And then they can go home and think about it, reflect about it. So it's not to say that it's not to say that that's the only place where it should be safe, but it is a reliable place for boundaries to be pushed. That being said also, boundaries are there to be pushed in society in, in every day. You know, that is your right if you want to do that. So I was doing this drag show and I was so nervous to do this because not only has it been a while since I've done a show of that kind, I suppose a show that is is putting putting a lot of my truth out there really uh, and being vulnerable in that way but um, you know I think it was um, just like entering a new community and not knowing how I was going to be how I was going to be uh, accepted or, or, or judged and I didn't I didn't I couldn't think about it much I procrastinated a lot with the preparation I put a little set together of a song of my own that I'd written over one of the lockdowns and was like very Lady Gaga in in style. And I thought, what the hell am I going to do with this? I don't really normally write this kind of thing. And then two years later, boom, I've got my opening piece for the drag show. Then I did a lip sync of Life on Mars, which is one of my favourite songs of all time. It's just one of the most exquisitely written songs of all time. I really felt that it would suit and also be a comforting grounding thing something like okay well you may be doing something that feels outside your comfort zone but at least you know that song you know so well and is so important to you and you can just really ease into and that'll be a nice way to close the little set it was only gonna be a short set like just a couple of pieces for each performer i almost chickened out of it like the the day or two before i just thought like mm, haven't booked my ticket to london yet I'm feeling kind of like run down and stressed. Like maybe I, maybe I'm just doing too much. Maybe I don't need to do this. And a voice came from me somewhere within, which just said, "You've got to do this. You've got to not be afraid to fail at this. This is important to you. It's an expression of yourself, and it's having 
fun with that. It's being creative and it's doing a drag show, which is fun and sexy and it's there to push boundaries and push buttons. What's not to like about that? Yes, it's scary, but isn't it scarier the sense of sitting with the regret that you didn't do it, looking at the photos or the videos of people who were up there on social media in, in a couple of days' time and just think, oh, my set wasn't that bad, I could have done that. So I just kicked into another gear. I was like, yeah, okay, I'm going to do this. I've got to do this. And at the time, I didn't know, I, I, hadn't, I hadn't looked up where the venue was. I was like, it's in London, you know, like, I go stay with one of my sisters. It's, it's, it's there, it's generally there. Like, I'll, I'll find my way there. And it turns out it was just around the corner from my sister and her husband's place. It was on Clapham High Street. And I just had this weird realization on the day, having looked up the address, being like, whoa, last time I was on Clapham High Street was when I went into that charity shop and had this bizarre barrage of hate from this woman behind the counter. And I had to say goodbye to all my white male privilege. Not that I was that attached to it, but it does, it does, do you, it does get you through some doors. It does do you some favors. So I thought, wow, that's really eerie. That's a really beautiful piece of synergy that, that life has thrown me. You know, I was really terrified and not able to own myself and stand up for myself in that situation. And it was really horrible and, and, and has stuck with me subconsciously. Now I can go back to that same street, to a safe place, to an, a positive, encouraging place, and I can get up there in my sensational dragged upness, do a little set and be part of a community that, that doesn't, doesn't wish me harm, doesn't think it's okay to just throw blanket hate at me just for existing. I think I couldn't feel it at the time because I was nervous and doing my makeup in a, like a little, a little broom closet just before the show started. And then it was over so quickly. I just I just really enjoyed being part of that space and getting to chat to some people though I was still nervous you know kind of still being still being in drag and just being overawed by some of the some of the performances some of the people who were just you know so themselves and so so interesting and I, that I you know wants us to get to know them better but you know when you when you're in a club and there's stuff going on you know you, you can't always chat too much being someone who, who at my core I think I'm a, an introverted extrovert because of experiences I've had um, as a young person, as a teenager in particular, that have brought out my real shyness and lack of trust in people. You know, when I'm in those kind of spaces, I, I, I still struggle to kind of get out of that, that routine of shyness, you know, kind of just going in on myself and not wanting to bother anybody. But just the fact that I was there and I did it was such a powerful thing and that I was able to embrace particularly after what had happened in the, the general surroundings like, like four years ago and all, and all the things since. Just to be like, I don't care what happens. I don't care if I, if I fuck it up. I don't care if there is somebody who gives me shit. Like, I know that I have value. I know just, just from being, you know, whether I do well at this or not, whether it was, um, whether it was a well-planned set or not, whether it was well thought out or not, it doesn't matter, you know. I am enough and that is so incredibly healing to be able to go through that and reflect on it afterwards. I was just so proud of myself, you know, it's just a small thing, you know, it's just a small thing going along doing a little, a little seven minute set, being in that space, but, but for me it was massive and since then I've just felt so so aware, so buoyed up by that sense of like, hey look, you, you, you stood up for yourself, you put yourself out there, you were being 
you felt on the precipice of something incredibly scary and you had all these voices that have been with you for such a long time and in many ways come from women like the one in the shop who harassed you basically you know that's where those voices come from they are telling you that the world is not safe for people like you so you should just stay inside you should just leave your gender queerness on the rack you should just you know it doesn't belong to you you should just accept what you were given and go about your life and be happy with that you know and I said no no I know who I am and I know what value I have and I'm gonna put myself out there whatever happens it's not like I'm cured you know it's not like that was some kind of magical um, alternative medical retreat that I went on though that sounds lovely I really wish the NHS could offer that for genderqueer people we understand that you are you you suffer from genderqueerness that you're genderqueer so we're gonna send you on a, on a drag retreat I mean that's something I'd love to if someone wants to put the funding up I've had ideas about this for a long time you know if you are going through that stage of exploration go on some kind of like genderqueer trans version of a of a yoga retreat or a meditation retreat or some kind of like ayahuasca retreat or a writing retreat you know just go someplace with other people and there's just all this all of these these clothes and these things you can try on and you can just be that person when you go away and it's a safe place I mean doesn't that sound absolutely fucking sensational you know life goals so so that was the that was the first cyclical coming home moment and uh, it was so it was so wonderfully appropriate and I like I couldn't I couldn't have written it myself if I tried it feels like I'm kind of just relating to you some kind of uh, some kind of rejected draft of, of an idea for a script or a, or, or, or a story but I, I swear it happened you know I had these same experiences on the same street within four years of each other within several hundred feet of each other and they couldn't have been more different yet at the same time more similar I just feel so 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 grateful to have been on that journey and to close that loop for good because taking away from that experience however minor it may seem the basic truth of that is if you are vulnerable good stuff will happen if you learn to trust yourself good stuff will happen now it's time for the gender lewd the pause in the show where you may hear some adverts trying to sell you some stuff because basically all that matters is things and money right so to ease you into that it's going to be a bit of a pause a bit of a lull a bit of a melodic interlude a gender lewd and i invite you to take a pause take a walk walk away from your desk take a bath have a wank just do something good to honor the moment and i'll see you in a few this podcast is supported via patreon if you go to patreon.com drodge that's d-r-o-d-g-e you can support the podcast from two pound fifty a month and get involved in this evolving community of all that is, was, and may be, gender. So now for the second part of our tale of two cities in this vulnerable I'm, I'm, I'm getting better at saying it I'm, I, see I was I was vulnerable with you to begin with and now I am vulnerable 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 it's time for the second city in our story and we're going to Brighton 
that's what I decided to do back in the spring 2019. Because where do you go when you're when you're queer and you're struggling to figure that out and you go, ah, I know I've got this thing inside me, but I don't know what to do. I know, I'll, I'll go to Brighton. That's what you do in it. That's where you go. They've got all the queer walking tours and 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 like and and the queer self discovery exhibits. That's what you do. And yeah, it was. It's what felt like the right thing to do to, I suppose, kind of honour that, like a sort of queer pilgrimage. And a place I knew that I could go, generally speaking, where I could be all femmed up and be terrified of that, but that the world would be less terrified of me in a place like Brighton, and that I would be less likely to get any shit. So I made myself up, drove from my static caravan in the middle of nowhere all the way to Brighton, got there like late morning, parked up in a car park somewhere in the centre of town and thought, okay, I've got like I've got like four hours that I can afford to pay for to be here. You know, that's enough time to just kind of be in my be in my own skin, be in my gender identity I'm trying to embrace and understand and see how it feels. So I got out of the car and just, just walked around. Uh, I had these big sunglasses on because I think I was just trying to, <laughs> trying to at one and the same time, reveal my face and, and uh, conceal as much of my face as possible so that I could say to the world, hello, I'm a woman, but also don't look at me too closely because, uh, yeah, I'm scared. So I just wandered around. Uh, it was a really lovely sunny day and I went and got a coffee somewhere and I thought to myself, oh crap, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to speak. And like my voice, as you can tell, it's not the most androgynous of voices. I can certainly make it more androgynous if you like, but that kind of feels ridiculous and something I'm not really, I wasn't really able to own in that way at the time. So I just, I just, I just panic thought and came up with a strategy that seemed to work, but you know, was was probably fairly obvious that I'd lost my voice, you know. So I wanted to order a coffee and something to eat. And I went up to the counter and said, I'm really sorry, I've lost my voice. I think I get this, this. That made it okay for me. And I just sat in a corner of the of the coffee shop and had my coffee, my bite to eat, and read my book or looked at my phone, I can't remember. Just, just, just riding through each moment of like absolute terror. I mean, I didn't know what I thought was going to happen, but that the gender police were going to come in and point at me and go, "Aha! We found you. We heard about you. Come with us." Something like that, you know. I've definitely been a very anxious person over the years and worked really hard this year in particular to just be aware of those instinctive thoughts. They come from experiences like the one I had on Clapham High Street four years ago and come from moments of trauma and abuse over the years. You know, it's a question of basically just rewriting your own programming of just patiently and calmly every time they come up going, yes, the gender police could walk in at this particular moment, but is that very likely? And if that did happen, who the hell are the gender police? I think maybe some people would stand up for you. Or, you know, like a more normal example. You know, if someone's going to give you going to give you crap you know yes it's scary but but you can get through it and you will get through it because coming back to that sense of intrinsic value again you have intrinsic value it can be so hard to hold on to and in that moment I didn't feel I had intrinsic value I felt like I was some kind of pale imitation of what I wanted to be and that therefore I could only 
go around with like some kind of protective bubble around me so that people would see me and I presume they would think I was that pale imitation, you know, pretending to be something I'm not, like, you know, playing a dress up like some kind of like some kind of kid who's been told who's not been told no enough you know that's what I basically thought I was deep down and I've really had to override that external programming and go no you are yourself and you have intrinsic value and the world can't tell you any different doesn't matter what they say but at that moment four years ago I didn't know how to do that so I was just having to experience a very shielded having to have a very shielded experience of being out in the open you know which was all I was able to do then and that had to be okay you know so going from there going for a wander through the lanes and like going in some clothes shops and uh, I, I probably embarrassedly uh, probably buying something probably you know buying a cheap little item of clothing more because I thought well I've been in the shop now for like two minutes and I don't like I don't I feel so uncomfortable and so exposed so I, I should just buy something and get out even if I don't necessarily want it or if it's not quite right or if I if I really felt you know confident in my own skin I would stay longer and uh, not be afraid of being in, 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 interacted with and not be afraid to you know wait for to find the right thing or just to, or just to go I didn't find anything I wanted here thank you very much goodbye you know I couldn't do that so I went for a wander I went down to the beach and sat on the beach for a bit and then like the parking time was up and I had to go and I came away from that experience not necessarily feeling any better or any further along to like understanding myself um because it was it was an experience you know full of full of fear and, and shame and embarrassment and not being sure of myself and not being able to recognise that internal intrinsic value yet. And that had to be okay. And after that point, I think, aside from wearing stuff around uh, around the house, around the static caravan, I didn't experiment in that way again for some time. You know, I, I moved out of there, I ended up moving to Bristol at the end of the summer that year. And six months went by and the pandemic happened. And I was right back again in that place of, you know, of eventually bringing out the more feminine stuff, the makeup, and, and trying stuff on, and it felt like I was just kind of going around in circles, unable to get out of this loop of I know there's something here, but I don't know how to put that out there and for it to feel safe and to to, to trust that everything will be okay, that I can be vulnerable and everything will be fine. And so, I've been more able in recent recent months and recent weeks this year to to put that out there certainly since coming out as non-binary I feel I can go out into the world and you know wear a feminine item of clothing whether it's a skirt or a dress or whatever or blouse with some makeup on or not and sort of look like to some people a glitch in reality and because I identify as non-binary if someone gives me shit I feel like I feel I feel I feel that I can stand up for myself because I think basically it comes down to, well, I'm not trying to be anything else other than me. You know, yes, sometimes I may look, want to look more feminine and I may even want to go the full drag thing in public. But, you know, basically, if you're going to give me shit, you're, you're, you're coming to me with a set of rules that I don't abide by, you know. I have my own concept of myself which doesn't need any of that, which doesn't need restriction or limitation. So if you're going to come to me and say, give me shit, or, and basically say under that, you know, you're not right, there's something wrong with you, 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 you shouldn't be allowed to do that, 
you know, well, fuck you. Like, I'm just being myself, you know, and I have such a wonderful strength and solidarity in that because because through being non-binary and identifying in that way, um, though I don't broadcast that to the world other than something that could be interpreted through through uh, uh, dressing in an androgynous gender uh, fluid way, you know, I am able to own that because I am saying that I am not male, I am not female, I am a mixture or neither or somewhere in between or all at once. And, you know, it's, it's, one, it's one thing it's one thing to try and present as female when I know that I'm not female and someone to come back at me and say like, yeah, you're, what, you can't do that, how dare you, you're doing that wrong, you're not, you're not right, you're a glitch and you're a glitch bitch. And um, actually, I feel that's a more positive term, actually. I like gl- glitch bitch. I'm a glitch bitch, right? I'm just going around glitching reality like a bitch and there's nothing you can do about it. But when I've tried to present in a feminine way, because I'm not female, because I'm not transgender, I I don't feel I can own that in the same way as I can own being non-binary and just being whatever I want, you know? Even though I may appear very feminine sometimes, it's um it's a curious thing. But I first became aware of that when I was walking, um, I think it was in Taunton, uh, end of 2021, around Christmas, and I was walking around, and I'd recently come out as non-binary to... To, to those closest to me. I still kind of just, you know, figuring out and owning it. And these young geezers in tracksuits just walked by and I recognised that my normal gut reaction would have been to be very fearful and kind of internally withdraw and be very cautious and aware of them because of the negative experiences I've had with men over the years. So I have a, a blanket alarm system that goes off when I see people like that, which is reminding me of past traumas when I was a, a teenager a young adult, a child, uh, that it was different this time because I'd said to myself, yes, I am embracing the fact that I am my own person and that I get to define my identity in my own way and that comes under the umbrella non-binary for me. Even though they, you know, if we were to have some kind of altercation or discussion, they would not unnecessarily understand it or want to understand it because I had embraced that and I understand it and I had accepted that. I just felt so, so strong internally that, you know, like if anything were to happen, if I were to be put in a vulnerable situation, that I would stand up for myself, which is so different to before, because before I knew that I had all of these questions within me, all of these things I was afraid to explore and understand, whether that was stepping into an item of clothing or stepping into an identity or exploring ideas about myself because I was so afraid to embrace that before. It was almost like I was carrying around this shameful thing inside me, this shameful secret that if someone challenged me on would just like, just tumble out of my pocket or I would just blurt out, oh, and, oh don't, just leave me alone. I'm queer, leave me alone. It was, that's, that's, that's like how I felt, like, like subconsciously. I guess as being in a state of hyper-awareness, which is a, which is a syndrome, which is a, it's a symptom rather of... Um, you know, being through going through traumatic experiences that you feel that you have to be constantly on your guard because you might end up in a repeat situation of that if you're not careful. And it's a defense mechanism, but it's so exhausting and so just binds you to that story of the past trauma and it's so hard to get beyond it. And I think we've kind of been going through a, a version of that from the pandemic. And Blind Boy talks about this beautifully on one of his podcasts about 
hyper-awareness over the last couple of years and how it's something we, you know, we need to kind of understand and move beyond and unpack. Because if you think terrible things are going to happen at any possible moment because, you know, because you've been through trauma or the world is out of control, then you're going to be hyper-aware and you're going to be exhausted. You're going to be, you're just going to be so overcharged and it's just not, it's just not good for you. And, you know, means that you can't put yourself in vulnerable situations. You can't put yourself out there and then, you know, life feels smaller as a result. So that's where I was wandering around presenting in, in a feminine way back in the spring of 2019. You know, I wasn't, I was in a state of hyper-awareness. I wasn't able to, I wasn't able to go with the flow, be in the moment, be vulnerable, have some chance encounter, end up in some cool situation because I was terrified. And I just had to try that. It felt too much at the time. You know, I did it the once and put it all back in the box and didn't come back to it till till when the pandemic happened and I had nowhere else to go but you know like I had nowhere else to look but in my own reflection that circle finally came to a close in the last few weeks so I was going to Brighton again for a rehearsal with my friend Josh who was playing the piano providing the music for the drag Bowie bingo show we did last Friday in Southampton which went really really well so I was getting the train over there early in the morning to get there mid-morning to rehearse and then going to see a couple of friends and maybe go to a show of uh, Josh's and another friend in the evening and then come back and um, I just thought to myself like oh it'd be really nice like you know um, it, it just makes sense because I don't think Josh has seen me like dragged up as yet so it would just kind of work and make perfect synchronistic sense for me to to do my makeup and get dragged up and head over to Brighton like that and I wasn't even thinking really before about the the experience I'd had for the last time I'd done that, you know, like uh, back in 2019. I just thought, yeah, that makes perfect sense. That would be good for the, it'd just be good for the rehearsal and kind of getting into the mindset of the show. And so I put my makeup on, got dolled up and put my wig, my wig on and was happy that I was looking my best. And then it was like this realization that, oh yeah, I am, I'm going to be retreading a path that I've trodden before and in very different circumstances. You know, last time I did this, um, my life felt very much out of control and I didn't have that core intrinsic value to fall back on, that trust that everything was gonna work out okay because I, because I could look after myself because you know, like, you know, I could say to myself, I got you, you know, I wasn't there at all. Whereas now I'm much more in that place. And so I could still be scared for sure, you know, to go out, go out the front door, go get the bus, get the bus to the station get the train and then walk through like a walk through some suburban high street to get to the rehearsal studio you know I could do all that still being scared still feeling I had a bit of a protective bubble around me you know kind of not uh, being careful not to you know look to you know being careful not to look too long casually at some at somewhere or some someone in case they caught caught my eye and gave me a fine look but as far as I could tell you know no one was no one was looking at me weird I'm I'm quite fortunate that I can generally pass um I'm I'm I'm, I've got a very slender physique I've got like really I'm 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 blessed with very high cheekbones so you know if I do my makeup right it really accentuates what is already what is fortunately already there um and yeah, I'm lucky in that sense. And it was great, you know, it wasn't it wasn't some kind of like 
grandstanding like Hollywood moment like oh my god I'm stepping into myself and I'm being myself and this is just so wonderful oh look at me oh the cameras oh it was just a day it was just a morning I went to went to do the rehearsal did the rehearsal went well felt good about the show walked along the beach saw a couple of friends I actually got halfway down the beach and it was um it was from Portslade down into the centre of Brighton that's a it's a good hour's walk at least along on, along the waterfront and it was a quite overcast like murky day um, but the the washing of the sea against the the beach sounded just gorgeous so I just sat and watched that for a bit and then I came to a public restroom and I thought let's go take my wig off I don't need to wear this you know yes it's nice to be something I really I, I, I really enjoy and makes me feel seen in some ways to be very feminine and something I want to embody more and more to try and get over those ingrained programs that I have that because I am perceived as male that I can only occupy a male space that I can only say male things you know like I can't say as I talked about in last week's episode that you know I can't say things that come across as incredibly emotional or sensitive or um, you know that's just something I'm, 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 I'm slowly working my way through you know bit by bit and that does require vulnerability to to inhabit those spaces whether that is through the way I speak the way the things I choose to say or the, the the way I choose to look it's just an ongoing thing and it's not like you know I was cured by this by this return journey you know back to Brighton to to do my queer pilgrimage my the, my the second installation of my the second part of my queer pilgrimage but again it was just so healing because I, I I just said to myself well look you did it and nothing terrible happened in fact you had a really nice day um yeah, you're tired because you've been really busy this this week and you weren't like able to be like swanning down the the waterfront just going, I am so queer, I'm so queer, oh look at me. You know, you just you just like had a day like any other day you would have when you were feeling run down and tired and had things to do and just focused on getting that done. And then I took the wig off, like I said, because I felt, you know, this is great, but I don't need this. Coming back to that sense of, you know, feeling so so solid in myself, you know occupying a genderqueer non-binary space being that person showing that person to the world I was like you know this is nice if I want it but I don't need it you know it'll be nice when my hair eventually gets longer alright so it takes so long and I'm so impatient it's probably why my hair is not as long as I want it to be because I I I just want to change it so often um, I'm sticking with it this time because I know that it will be something that will really help with my gender expression you know just having that more length to play with and that sense that it can that I can be perceived in a more feminine way and therefore see myself in a more feminine way but that being said appearance is just that it's just an exterior it's got to be the work that you do on the interior and you can only do that by putting yourself out there and being vulnerable and I, I say I've said this time and time again over the course of this podcast but it's the core message really why I want to share this because these may not be like spectacular phenomenal things I'm sharing with you but uh, you know in many ways they are the mundane it's nice to go to Brighton but like it was just part of like things I was doing and yeah I went back to London to Clapham High Street to do a drag show which which is something like you know fun and something something fun and cool I was glad to do um but you know like it's it's it was nothing particularly special um, I'm not trying to like overawe with oh look at this wonderful journey I've been on like like, a, like how I fought and you know and advocated for myself and just did all these amazing things to get to this point of real um, just peace and self-discovery you know 
it's just uh, what I'm trying to get across is it's so sometimes it's the most simple mundane things that you can do that can have the biggest impact and what I've taken away from these moments of synchronicity of closing the circle of going back to somewhere where I was scared to be myself and coming back as the person I wanted to be and feeling so so happy and overjoyed you know even if I couldn't really access that completely in the moment if, if even if I wasn't like I say like you know swanning down like the beach like I was on a catwalk or swanning down Clapham High Street and giving two fingers to the charity shop which will remain nameless um, you know just the fact that I was there and being myself and and feeling my intrinsic value you know whatever happened that I could just go with it because I accept myself you know that's the Hollywood ending right but it's so accessible to everybody it's so accessible to everybody and it was it was curious again um, these weird moments of synchronicity I've had in life that the universe is sending me over the past couple of weeks I ended up going back to the station uh, the next day after staying with a friend I ended up going uh, through the central town to get to the station in Brighton and walked past St Bartholomew's Church which is near the lanes which is a boutique mostly independent corner spread across a series of narrow interlocking roads parts of it have a sort of bizarre feel and bizarre as in like North African market not bizarre though it is Brighton now I like to look around or sit in churches if I have the time if I'm visiting a different city or traveling because they're really impressive, beautiful buildings. You know, you can feel very warm as a queer, witchy, spiritual, hippie punk as I am sitting on a pew, feeling your soul burst into flames, which is really handy to keep warm in winter. I'd thoroughly recommend it if you're passing a church, you know. Just go in, feel your soul set on fire. I'm all warmed up now, I'm set for the day. But I don't think I'd have gone into this particular one at this particular time if it hadn't been St. Bartholomew's Church, because Bartholomew's my middle name. My mum chose that name as a middle name because St. Bart's Hospital, near where we lived in London at the time when I was born, was in danger of being closed down. It was decided at the time that there were too many hospitals in central London. So to try and fight this, a campaign was launched to save the hospital, and though the accident and emergency department was closed and relocated to another hospital, St. Bart's is still there today and is now a centre of excellence for cardiac and cancer care. You're welcome. Yeah, so, so again, that's weird synchronicity. I felt the universe was sending me some kind of message passing that church. Though my queer antennae was twitching like mad at the thought of going in because I was wearing a dress and probably still had some remnants of makeup on my face from the day before. Even though priests essentially wear a form of dress. But why am I giving fashion advice to the priesthood? Anyway, I went in, sat peacefully for about five minutes, then got up, thanked the man looking over the place, told him how beautiful I thought the building was, and left. I think it was just an invitation to go in there and reflect on all that I've been through in the last four years in particular, as well as over the course of my own life, and just to see how I've made real progress and I can be proud of that and how that has been possible by being open to whatever may happen and to being vulnerable, to being vulnerable to letting myself out there and to to know that in there, in myself, that I, that I accept myself, that I value myself. And it was just really good to sit there and contemplate that in a thoroughly non-queer space, historically speaking. Um, but I was just really glad to have the, the chance to do that before I ended my little 
returned John to Brighton and went back. The story of St. Bartholomew is a strange one. First of all, there's no mention of him in the Bible as Bartholomew. Religious scholars identify him as Nathaniel, one of the twelve apostles. Ironically, when Jesus meets him, introduced by Nathaniel's friend Philip, Jesus says of Bartholomew Nathaniel, Here is a true child of Israel. There is no duplicity in him. Oh, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Bartholomew slash Nathaniel sounds pretty queer to me. Sounds sounds very much like me. I've, I've inhabited many names and personas and faces over the years. So it's quite appropriate, really. But as the story goes on, not much is known for sure about Bartholomew Nathaniel after Jesus' death. But he is said to have died in Armenia, that he was killed, ultimately, for securing converts to Christianity and following Jesus. Apparently, he was flayed to death a gruesome end that would have seen large parts of his skin removed. It was then decided to make him a saint, make, make him Saint Bartholomew, and very thoughtfully someone came up with this wonderful idea. It was settled upon that he would be the patron saint of tanners and tailors, amongst other trades. Because tanners strip the hides of animals to make leather. Tanners strip the hides of animals to make leather. This guy was flayed to death. This guy had his skin ripped off and then died. Really thoughtful, guys. I don't know who's on the sainthood commission, but they really need to take a stern look at themselves. It would be like making Jesus the patron saint of crucifixes. And what I reflected on in those five minutes in St. Bartholomew's church was how grateful I was to have made that transition. A different kind of transition to the one I thought I was entering into back in 2019. The transition from fear to acceptance. The transition from holding back to being vulnerable. From being essentially afraid of myself, afraid of what I was inside and not knowing how to translate that onto the outside. Not knowing how to happily and safely inhabit the outside world as myself. And to do that, I had to come home to myself. I had to search deep within myself for that security and warmth that home can bring you. Oddly, as I said before, that came in many ways through the pandemic, through being at home for the best part of two years, against our wills. Because though nobody would wish for an experience like that, it did show me clearly every day what I was working with. I couldn't escape from it. Because there was no outside influence, nothing to blame or lament for having unfairly treated me, no woman shouting at me across a counter threatening to call security, no scary queer Brighton, you know? Like, no, 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 no scare, no imagined fears around the next corner. It, it, it put a mirror uncomfortably close to me so that I saw myself with crystal clarity. I started to see myself that way. I saw the ways that I constantly talk myself down in my head, that I label myself as a freak and undeserving of love. Yes, those habits may have come from traumatic or negative experiences, the work of others through bullying or abuse, but... It is ultimately up to me to move past that. It is ultimately up to me to look at that reflection in the mirror and to see all of that trauma and to see all of that hurt and say, wow, you've been treated really badly. You don't deserve that. I love you. I accept you. Let's work on this. Let's try and see what we can do to help you be happier, to help you feel more secure, to help you feel more of that value, to help you feel more at home, you know? If I do identify with those experiences that I've had, the negative traumatic experiences for the rest of my life, if I say that I am the person who deserved that treatment on the other side of the charity shop counter, 
just for buying a couple of dresses, then I am saying that's all I deserve. That's all I am worth. I am seeing the dilapidated, uncared for, tumbling down home that has stood neglected inside of me for so long. And I'm saying, basically, yep, that's what I'm good for. That's where I should live. That's where I deserve to live. But in the past few years, from the start of the pandemic to the end of this year, 2022, I have seen that I deserve much, 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 much better than that. We all do. And that I can and must do a lot of the repair and renovation work myself on my internal home that has been battered and neglected, but that I'm never entirely alone. I can reach out to a friend for an emotional paint job. I can speak to a family member for advice on how to put on a new door. Or I can talk to my counselor about how I'm ready to stop doing the morning hopscotch across the kitchen floor that's full of holes and feel properly grounded again, you know? I'm ready to make a home within myself, to feel at home within myself. They say, they say that you don't truly know where home is, what home is until you get far enough away. And I had to do that in many different ways. And those two, those two experiences, those two journeys that I've talked to you about in two different parts this week was that journey of discovery, going far enough away to know where home really is. And we all need a home a physical home of some kind, and the housing market in the UK and Ireland at the moment is particularly dire. I mean, no one seems to be drawing the, uh, certainly the news outlets don't seem to be illustrating how fucked everything is. I, I happened to come across the opening section of the BBC News sometime in the last month or so. I was, I was switching on the TV to watch something, uh, to stream something, and the news was on and I was subjected to it and I tried to avoid the news as best as I can for my own mental health at the moment. Just to focus on stuff that I really care about and that I feel is really important or that is important to people that are important to me. And the opening segments were um, sort of sandwiched together that we're going to be talking about were BP records record profits of £7 billion three times up since the previous year. And then they then went to say, and the cost of living crisis. What can we do about it? We're going to be talking about it. You know... I just seem like such cognitive dissonance, like how those two things can coexist and, you know, there seems to be no awareness of the fact that one is causing the other, you know? And it's, yeah, it's really, it's really difficult at the moment in the UK when certainly for my generation, the possibility of home ownership is dwindling you know rampant capitalism has made it so that the rich have got richer and therefore they have more money to buy property because that's how you hold on to your wealth or acquire more wealth the richer you get i just meant that the average person certainly younger people cannot envision themselves having a house they cannot afford to and they're stuck in this renter's market you know and that has to be illustrated because i know for people listening to this podcast a lot of people out there that home you know where you live just has to be the, the best the best that you can get you know and it's not going to necessarily feel like your dream home you know where you feel most comfortable and yeah that has to be acknowledged and it's something that is true for everybody but what I also feel is true for everybody is that if we can't find a home within ourselves then we will never truly be at home it doesn't matter where you live if you can't feel at home in yourself it can turn a castle into a ruin a palace into a prison. 
That's what I'm so driven by in this podcast series, these drudgecasts, to explore queerness in as many of its forms as I can, to show that in each and every one of them, in each and every one of us, the basic fact remains the same. We all have value. We all deserve a place in this world, a home in this world. We're already accepted just by being. Just by being ourselves, we already have that acceptance. That acceptance is already in there waiting to be seen, to be recognised, to be held onto. And if you can find that home within yourself, like a queer tortoise, a, a queer toys, you'll never be without one. If you can come to feel at home in yourself, if you can close that circle, close the search out there looking for a home outside of you, if you can close that circle and recognise that it's in yourself, then you will truly have all you could ever want or need. So I'll see you next week, Drodgeheads. For now, much love and all the gender. Drodgecast is a production by Barush Voices for Drodge. Label without labels. <laughs>